What's going on, folks? Thanks for hitting that download button and checking out a brand new episode of Toys and Tech of the Trade, your one-stop shop for toys, tech, and talk with some assembly required. I'm your host, Rich, and if this is your first time checking out an episode, first of all, welcome. Second, a bit about what we do here. Toys and Tech of the Trade is an interview series where we sit down with content creators, entrepreneurs, and just awesome folks that are on our radar and discuss the gadgets, the gear, and the tech that they use to create their content, run their businesses, and overall be more productive. When it comes to toys, we like to use a broad definition around here and not just relegate it to action figures or Funko Pops or things like that, but just other things that people consider their toys, whether it's kitchen knives, uh, guitar picks, musical instruments, guns. You'd be surprised what people consider their toys, and we want to use that to break up a little bit of the business talk. Uh, before we get into this week's guest, a little bit of housekeeping to get out of the way. Uh, first and foremost, I want to thank everybody who checked out our previous interview with Sean Neese. We really, really appreciate it. Uh, the feedback has been tremendous. Uh, just a quick reminder, if you want to be a guest on a future episode of Toys and Tech of the Trade, feel free to reach out, rich at rageworks.net, or use the contact form on the podcast network site, which is rageworksnetwork.net. Dot com. And if you are using Podit, which is a great service to find podcasters to uh, interview as well as be a guest on other podcasts, definitely use the Podit service. We have a profile there and you can reach out to us that way if you'd like to be a guest on a future episode. We have lots of great creators on deck for the coming weeks. Uh, this week, we're taking it back to our Rageworks Creative Series and spotlighting one of our own. So without any further ado, let's turn it over to this week's guests and learn about the toys and tech of their trade. We continue our spotlight on Rageworks Creators with this week's episode of Toys and Tech of the Trade as I sit down with the other half of Call Me When It's Over, the one and only Alexis A. McCoy. This talented and multifaceted individual joined Josie's Boy on Call Me When It's Over not too long ago, and her and Josie's Boy have been killing it ever since. We're going to sit down, deconstruct what she does, the gadgets and gear she uses to do it, and so much more. Alexis, thanks for taking the time to sit down with us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so honored to be here. Yeah, I've been I've been meaning to do this and I'm glad we finally got to connect. Um, you know, there's there's so many things I want to touch on. You have such a such a diverse career. Um, the biggest thing, of course, now being part of the Rageworks family, being the second mic alongside Josie's boy on Call Me When It's Over. I want to start from there and kind of work my way back. Um, how did you how did you get to become second mic and what made you want to do that? Um. So um, Josie Boy and I are really, really close friends, and um, we were talking about, I had the opportunity to, to be on his podcast to talk about one of my productions, and um, we were having a conversation, and he was talking about having a co-host, and I said it for, like, shits and giggles. Um, I was like, you should have me as your co-host, and he had another person, two people in mind. And um, he was like, I think that would be a great idea. So at first I was like, yeah, I'm just, and then he actually asked me and I was like, you know what? I think that'll be something cool to do. Like your podcast. I love it. I love the message. I love what you're doing. I think it will be great, a great platform for me to expand my voice and just get comfortable with speaking very candid. Cause I feel like, because I come from the world of production, it's like very um, politically correct. 
and I don't get the opportunity to speak in, in raw form a lot um, and, and tell my perspective, whether it's through, you know, visual arts or productions and stuff like that. So when um, he asked me, he put us on a six-month probe. No, it was like a month probation. And uh, we had to, like, come up with ideas for the podcast and all of that great stuff. And it ended up working. And he ended up going with me at the end. But it's been a very great ride. I mean, it took me some time to, like, kind of find my voice and get comfortable with hearing myself speak. Also getting comfortable with speaking um, my truth, in a sense, if that makes sense. Um, And allowing for myself to just be um, stand on what I say. Because you can't doggy pedal, you can't backpedal when you are speaking your truth and people will call you out on it because it is recorded and it is set in stone once it's recorded. So um, once it's on the internet, I don't believe that the internet can delete anything. So um, just standing in my truth, it it helped me build my confidence with speaking um, my perspective on life. So that was the journey and it's been great. Yeah, I think I think what, coming in coming in, I think one thing that gave you a leg up as as I watched you and Josie's boy work together is you had a a fine arcs background. You know, you 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 have a mm-hmm. radio and television background. Um, you've done some short film work. You've done fine arts, media studies, theater. So I feel that a lot of that really came together to help you be a part of the show, not only just in a way that adds value to it, but also effectively. And I kind of want to touch on that because when researching and preparing for this, I saw that you had a lot of work in film, production, theater. How how important do you feel something like that is for people that are looking to get into podcasting and content creation? Um. So for me, I think that it's one of those situations where you're able to speak as the artist because I'm a writer. So I produce content and I normally be, I'm behind the scenes. So a lot of people that produce or do film directing and it's a writer, um, you normally don't hear their perspective. So I think it gave me the opportunity to tell the stories behind my stories and also um, invite people into my world and give, give uh, my work a personality in a sense. So it was, it's, it's been amazing, honestly, because I was able to start different projects because of the podcast and be comfortable with doing my What Motivates You Live, which you were on um, yep. last month, and be comfortable with doing stuff like that, taking those ideas that I have. If I want to do live events and I, I know how, how to interview and what the shots look like when I'm interviewing someone. I know what it looks like when I'm doing it from a camera perspective, but what if someone asked me to interview a podcast? Now I know what the logistics are for that. So it helps me expand my business a lot. Okay. I mean, one, one thing that I like that I feel was something that I, in terms of your background, it was a, a piece of that you shared uh, from Danchenko, where you said that a great artist shall never distribute material into the world that lacks substance in order to entertain the masses. Reading that resonated with me, especially as a creator. And the fact that you've made that a foundation for a lot of your work is is very mm-hmm. powerful. And I want to know, especially because in addition to working with Josie's Boy on Call Me When It's Over, you run your production company, Love Is Enough Productions. And I feel that that underlying mantra that you live by is is very reflective on your work. 
Um, tell me a little bit about how Love is Enough Productions came together. What was the origin story for it? So it started, it officially started, but unofficially started when I was in college. So <laughs> nice. I had the opportunity. Huh? Nice. <laughs> Um, I had the opportunity to um, produce my own short play. And um, I had the opportunity to, uh, I looked at this um, Black Black Girls Rock. They used to do it on BET. I don't know if they still do it now. They do a Nina Simone um, um, song, and I can't remember what the song is right now, but it was about the four, it was the four women. I think it's called the four women. Don't quote me on it. But anyway. So I saw this performance and it was just so amazing. It was these, you know, they had like um, Jill Scott, they had um, Lettuce up there. It was a couple of other people that had Kelly Price, all of these talented black strong women up there. And it was a good, like from a, a videographer's perspective and the lighting was good. It was, it was just a great performance. And I was like, oh, this would be so great if it was a production. Cause they were telling a story. They were giving a narrative, but a, I thought it was intimate. And I thought it would be more intimate if it was right, written in play form. So during that time, they asked me to do something for Black History Month at my on my college campus, and I decided to write this short play. It was my first short play called "I'm a Different Kind of Woman," which I still do annually um, each year. And I wrote it there, and it was a success. Everybody loved it. People loved it. And I was like, oh, okay, cool, whatever. Graduate from college. Didn't do a play again after that. I didn't present anything or write anything after that. In 2014, I decided I was going to present I'm a Different Kind of Woman again, the play, and um, I did it, and I did a show. I produced it myself, my family. I got a venue to um, back home in St. Louis to um, sponsor me. I was doing all the work. I was becoming a producer without even knowing I was becoming a producer, wow. but I wanted to present this, this production for my community and I got local actors and it was good. I had a violinist and all of that stuff and um, didn't do a play, went to film school and uh, did some film projects and all of that. And then when I left film school, I um, went back home because I needed to regroup. And then in 2016, I came back to New York and um I decided to, that's when Love is Enough Productions was created. I presented I'm a Different Kind of Woman, a new play. So the I'm a Different Kind of Woman has the same title, but each year it's a different thing and it's different characters. So each day, each year, the, the play is modified. So if a person has seen the play in 2014, it will not be the same play they saw in 2017. Okay. It's different each year. Um, so in 2016, uh, a friend of mine was like, what the hell are you doing? Don't try to chase after these big production companies. Yeah, you worked for NBC before. They're not letting you in. You need to figure out how you're going to be able to create your content. And when she told me now, I was like, girl. So Love is Enough Productions came about. I presented my first sold-out show in New York City and Harlem. Um, it was completely sold out. Small theater, had actors. And that's when Love is Enough Productions became what it was like, officially, I gave it a name and put it on some stuff, you know, wow. <laughs> and made it official. So, um, yeah, it was, it kind of, it always stuck with me. It was my Twitter handle for some time. Love is enough. That used to be my thing. Gotcha. And then uh, I took it from there. I was like, how, what am I going to love, name my production? And it turned, it was passion and something first. And then I was like, love is enough production. That's really what I, I live by that. 
So I leave with love. So that's a representation of me. Now, along yeah. along the way, uh, there uh, obviously you had to deal with self doubt. I'm sure you had people coming in. Oh, you really want to get into that, et cetera, et cetera. How did you How did you get past all of that to to put out to to use your term to put out your truth to put out your body of work? So it actually wasn't any external people that deterred me from anything. It was me. Really? Um, I'm a yes. I'm a big planner, and okay. because I am a big planner and I'm very strategic. When stuff don't go right, I I I really like crumble and fall sometimes. And um, when I was in grad school, grad school was the hardest time for me because it was a rigorous one year film program that I had to do from one year to another year. So I'm working three jobs. I'm doing an internship. I have to do projects. I have to do a thesis project. So um, that was a hard time for me. And after that process, I, I felt defeated because I had worked this for this major production company and I didn't get hired. So I was like, then what the hell am I doing? Like, I'm super talented. What the fuck is going on? Why am I not moving? Right. And it was because I was one dimensional with my dream and what my goal was. So it was me that was preparing me from getting to the fact of producing my play or producing what I wanted to, because I have the talent. I had all of the sources, but because I wanted my, my um, goal was how I saw everybody else do it was they work for this production company, um, you know, major production company. I didn't even see the, the things that I had already done. So I, I kind of was my own challenge for a while because I had this plan. This plan was set in action that I needed to go forward with, um, where everybody else around me was like, girl, you got your own stuff. Like, do what you normally do. And that's basically what a friend of mine told me. She was like, you've been doing this already. What are you doing? Like, do your own thing. But because I had a plan, it you know, it was one of those situations where I was like, I want to stick with my plan. My <laughs> plan looks safe, you know. Um, but I'm glad that, you know, she kind of kicked me in an ass and said, girl, you got it. And I had to like, it took me a couple of months. I'm not even going to lie. It wasn't like she told me. And then the next week I was ready to produce a play. That's a lot. It took me a couple of months to even get, it took me a lot of like reformatting myself and saying, okay, you got this. You can do this to even get to the point of presenting the first production. So going, going one step further, you you know, you, you got past it and you reevaluated your plan. You move forward to, uh, get that first production under your belt. Uh, tell me a little bit more about how how you started building that initial first production. What were what were some of the steps you went through? Because of course, there's a lot of you know you have to find the talent, you have to find the space, etc. How did you go yeah. into that? Especially you know you're doing it to build your own brand. So how how was the process for that? So um, the process for me was um, finding. A venue was a major location was the biggest thing for me. And I always knew that when I came to New York, if I wanted to do a production, I, was, I wanted to start in Harlem. And it was because of the Harlem Renaissance and my connection to it growing up as a kid. And, you know, the history that they told me about all of the artists coming, to, black artists coming to, to Harlem. And that was a big deal for me. So um, I was looking for theater, small theater companies in Harlem to present the production. And I found one and it's the Dwyer Cultural Center um, in Harlem. On it's called the um, Ozzy Davis um, Street now because they changed it. But um, 
So I found the location and it took me, I did it like a year before the production because the production happens in March each year during Women's Month. So I did it in December, booked the venue. Um, the person I connected with at the venue was so excited because I was so excited about doing <laughs> the play. And um, it was a 75-seater, which is small theater house. Um, and I booked the venue I, I, I will be honest, I spent a lot of money really? <laughs> on my first production. <laughs> like, I spent between two to $3,000 on my first production. And that's because I was not very fluid with the negotiations in the city. Ah. Um, I was just expecting, like, I was a little naive to pay. I was just like, well, I'll just pay the money. If that's what you guys want, I'll just pay it. So for me, it was just like, I want to get my production down at any cost. Whatever the fuck it costs, I'm willing to put the money down. So um, after I got the venue, I had already script because I had wrote the, I was writing a script after I talked to my friend. I started writing. That's what I started doing, actually. And then um, I got the venue and then I went on backstage to get my active. So I was just I reached out. I was I didn't do like a subscription. You have the option of doing a subscription. I prefer for you guys to do that. But because I could not afford it, I was spending money on my production. I went throughout. Um, I created a, um, a profile on backstage. And as a as a performer, and then I went through and was able to search all of the actors that I wanted, okay, and um, reach out to them personally. And then I got these four amazing women. Uh, one person was uh, recommended to me by a friend who did a production here in the city, and um, it was an interesting experience. I'm gonna be honest. You know, um, I didn't know. Um, I'm from the Midwest, so. I was new to the city and I, I wasn't expecting all of these different personalities where I come from. The director and the producer is their production. So you don't go back and forth with them. I had a lot of back and forth and I had to like figure out where my backbone was. It's like, okay, you're a part of my production. I'm trying to satisfy you as a talent, but you know, this is, I'm paying you. Right. So you have to do what I say. So it was a lot of me trying to figure out what my backbone, get my voice, my voice stern enough to let them know that, hey, I don't need you, you need me type of thing, or we need one another. Um, so after that, uh, um, we did rehearsal. I, I held rehearsal at um, at the venue. They allowed for me to do it at the venue. And that was a good opportunity for me. So the, when the night, when the opening night came, I had a friend that I had did film projects with in grad school, we had did a couple of film projects um, when I came back to the city. He did. He was my assistant director. He did the lighting and sound and all of that great stuff, the editing, because I had multimedia in my first production. So we both edited the films together, the, the short content. And um, the production was open for one night. Everybody showed up. It was a success. People were so excited. My um, my sister and my brother came all the way from St. St. Louis, Missouri to see it, and they were excited. So it was a great night. It really was. Now, you you know, I liked what you were saying about growing a backbone to deal with talent and and really trying to be more of the authority in terms of you having a command on your project. Now, I want to talk about that a little bit because I think for anyone that's listening to this that's looking to get into production or starting their own production company or even their own line of production – is that something that you feel is going to be one of the biggest hurdles, especially when it comes to dealing with talent? You have to make sure to establish a chain of command or rules of engagement. I mean, in your case, you were saying that you had to really step it up and be firm to establish just keeping your project on the rails. 
Is that something that a lot of people are going to would have to endure in your shoes? Or was it something because you were, you were so nice, you know, and I'm saying nice in, in quotes. Yeah. Um, no, nice is the word. I was very nice. <laughs> um, because a lot of people probably would have cussed the person out, but right. I was very nice. I will say this. You have to assess if a person is great for your project. Don't just take people just because you don't, don't accept anybody out of desperation. Don't ever do that because you'll shoot yourself in the foot. Yes, people are going to come with their own adversities. People are going to come with their own perspectives. But I think that if you set the tone with, hey, this is a form. I want you to be able to communicate with me when something's wrong. But these are my expectations for you. Not rules, but expectations. I expect for you to be on time. I expect for you to know your lines. I expect for you to um, have the the production edited at this time and this deadline. Those are expectations that you're setting for them and letting them know that this is our work, not just you, my work. Yes, I brought it together, but I invited you to be a part of the project and your name is on it. So that means that I need 110% because it's our project. Um, and sometimes you might have people that's just like, oh, I'm just here for a check. And those people, sometimes you can use them or sometimes you just got to let them go, but you got to figure out What's the tone you want to set on your set? And sometimes some people are not meant to be. I remember I, um, when I was in grad school, I was a producer assistant on this set. And it's a good film. It's a really good film. And I was excited. I love the story. I was like, oh, this is so great. So um, the, the producer on the set was a lady. And she, I think she was Russian, I believe. She didn't know how to speak to people. And they, on the set, they had, um, they were shooting in this house and they had dogs on. So the dogs are not going to stay still. And she was like, well, why can't you keep the dogs still? I was like, they're animals. Like they want to be outside roaming and running. They're not about to sit down unless it's an old ass dog. These are little puppies. They're, they're ready to get the hell out of here. So instead of just saying, Hey, go take them outside. You need to do something about this. And she was yelling at me. And I told her, we're not about to, don't yell at me. So for me, they thought I was a problem on the set, but it really was the producer because she didn't know how to communicate. Right. She didn't know how to talk. So communication is key. When you're speaking to people that you're walk, working with, make sure you have mutual respect for one another. Don't, don't talk to people. Listen to your team. Don't just say, I'm the boss and I'm supposed to be doing what you're supposed to be doing what I'm doing. No. Listen to them. Take time to take in what they're they're doing because just as much stress as you're under, they are too because they want to deliver what you're asking for them to deliver. So, you know, you just have to fill it out. I always say that um, just don't get desperate and just choose anybody to be on your set because then you'll shoot yourself in the foot. Well, in, in, in regards to that, especially because you said you had set criteria I'm going to I'm going to approach it a little bit more broad when you're when you're working on a project and you're trying to assess what kind of talent you're going to need and what talent is out there. What are what are some non-negotiables for you? What are you looking for when you're trying to um, assess talent for a project? You know, some people may want uh, a certain a certain type of look, a certain type of approach. Uh, What's your process for that? So I always go with look is very important because if you're the writer producer or if you are the director or the producer, you normally they normally the writer normally tells you what type of look is written in the script. Right. So um, for me, I normally go I I'm kind of flexible on looks, 
Because a person can look good and not be talented. They can be ho- fucking horrible and look good. Right. So what are you standing around for? Like, I, I just don't. I go based off of talent. I When I go research for new talent, um, I, a lot of my the people that I work with, I do my Tyler Perry lifestyle. A lot of the people that you see in my productions and stuff, I've been working with them for the last four years. So okay. I like to, I have my roster that I call on talent. I invite new talents, of course, but I have like alumni people that I, I've been working with for years and I know they're going to deliver. But when I went to go search for these individuals, I go look to see if you got a reel, if you have a headshot. Have you done work before? If you say that you are an actor and I go to your pro- profile and you only got modeling photos, that's not going to help you. That doesn't mean that you're an actor to me because I need to see your work. I need to see that you've done something. Even if the footage is horrible, I need to still see something. I need to see your work. So for me, I need to see a real headshot. I need to see um, a resume of things that you've done to know that you have at least, even if you're just getting out of school. I like to work with new actors too, young new actors that are just out of college or grad school because they're workable. They're they're able to. They're willing to learn. They're willing to experience something new. They're willing to. Um, they're sponges. So they're open to learning different things. And they just got out of school, so they have these fresh new techniques that they've been learning for the last four years on productions that they've worked on in school. So now they're ready to be professional actors and they're ready to go into the world. So you know, for me, looks really don't matter. Sometimes it depends on what production I'm working on. But really, in reality, I'm going out for Ross. I'm going out for the talent. If you say that you are a person that can cry on key, I need to see you cry. You can't just tell me. I need to see it. So <laughs> that's big for me. I just want to see I just want to see you work because I used to be an actor. So since I'm an actor, producer, director, I know what it's like to be in front of a camera. I know what it's like to be on stage. So I want to see what you can do. You you can you. You telling me is not enough. Some sometimes, excuse me. So, with, with that said, how are you? How are you seeking this talent out? Are you? Are there? Are there portals or websites or or are you using like IMDb or things like that? Or do you have your own rolodex of people that you call or agents, etc.? So I have my rolodex of deck of actors that I already work with. Right. Um, some of them have agents. I like to really not go with big name people that have agents. I like to give the um, kind of like the underdog an opportunity to shine because there's so many talented people that don't have an agent. They're looking for one and they need to be a part of a project to build their reel or to build their resume. And they don't get that opportunity because they're not a part of this big name production. So for me, I provide opportunities for kind of the underdog and people that are in between. They've been doing it for years or they're looking to get back into theater and they they, they want to rebuild their resume or refresh in it. Um, so I have a catalog of people that I, I go to. Gotcha. Um, for new talent, I go to backstage because backstage is so reliable. It's a vast majority of different type of people that you can you can um you can select and it's just easier. It's more convenient for me than going to I, I am CD. Well, in terms of, of working with talent, um, you know, from doing a play and doing a film, what are, what are some differences in terms of, of acting that uh, people that are either looking to get into the business or like you said, or trying to get their foot in the door because looking at, at, you know, Broadway off Broadway versus feature films, small indie films, et cetera, 
the the transition everybody makes it seem like it's seamless, but it's really not. Am I correct? No, it's not. What are some differences? Film, so theater is loud, it's big, it's over-exaggerated, it's big emotions, big everything. And in film, every shot is an expression. It's very small. You don't have to make as many movements. You can you can um, shift your eyes to the camera to indicate that you're upset. On stage, you have to throw your hands up because the people in the back have to see that you are upset. You got to stump. You got to do something exaggerated for people to know what your emotions look like. Well, through the camera lens is so detailed. They can zoom in on you doing a smirk behind your mom's back, you know, if you're in a scene, you know. Right. Um, so it's very small. And I think a lot of people, the, the beauty about theater, people that go from theater to film, the core thing for me is method acting, developing okay. the character. That's why I always, it's so funny because I told an actor just the, the, um, uh, a couple of months ago, um, he was like, you know, I think I want to do more theater. And I said, that would be good for you because in front of the camera, you won't feel like you have to overwork your emotion. In theater, you'll be able to learn how to develop the character and see what little ticks. So if your character is nervous, they're not going to be, um, you know, twitching. They might tap their fingers or shake their legs. Those are subtle things that the camera will catch without it being so, oh, he's nervous. He's biting his nails, you know, right. type of thing. So. You know, act, I mean, theater acting gives you method. It gives you details of your character. It gives your character a background. And most people um, need that. Most actors need that when they go into to film because you have to do so many takes. So you have to know who the hell your character is. 160 takes, you're going to be saying the same line. So you have to be able to capture that essence every time you take that take for that one scene. I was I was talking to an actor on a, on the last episode that we did. And we were talking about improv and, you know, the, the, the uh, taking improv classes to to work on your presentation and your toolkit as as somebody who does all three facets of filmmaking, production, directing and acting. What are what are your thoughts on that on improv? Um, improv works a, a muscle that um, most people don't know how to do. It really is a hard technique to, to, to like capture. I'm. I'm good at improv because I'm one of those people that think on my toes naturally as a person. Right. But it's a lot of people that struggle. You know, if you're looking for to figure out how to deliver a line or it really helps with the pickup. So if you're on stage and somebody drops their line, you have to be able to improv to go on to the next scene. You know, it really helps with the pickup and thinking on your toes and being able to um, get into a scene and get into those emotions really quickly, especially if you're in a musical. Musicals move so fast. So if you can be singing a song, dancing, and then next thing, it's a dramatic scene. So, you know, improv kind of gives you that trans, helps you transition from one emotion to the next, in my personal opinion. One emotion to the next emotion, it keeps you on your toes. It keeps you, you fluid. It keeps you light. It doesn't allow for you to take things so seriously. It keeps you moving. It really does. And that's what musicals, sometimes plays do. Sometimes in film, you have to be willing to um, go with the flow with your actor. The person that you're counteracting acting is like like your, co- your co-star. That's what I mean to say. Um, 
if a person is giving you an energy, if they're yelling at you and this scene is not consists of yelling and you, you come back very like calm, like you're upset, but don't fuck with me. That's, <laughs> it's still the same emotion, right? Right. But it's a different tone. So, act, I mean, improv to me kind of keeps you on your toes. It, it keeps you prepared for whatever is going to come your way in a scene. Where where do you draw inspiration in terms of you you've been on this path? Um, you know what what resources do you feel have been a, an influence in terms of how you approach production, how you approach acting? You know, some people they like you know they draw from like Quentin Tarantino or they'll draw from like Marty Scorsese. Everybody has like that one person whose style kind of resonates with them when it comes to their own body of work. Do you have someone like that or a group of people or just talents for different aspects of your work? It's so funny that you say that. Like, I don't have a specific person that I follow. Okay. Everybody has a director that they follow. For me, all different art forms inspired. Um, One one in particular that inspired me at the beginning of my career was Dan. Because I started off Dan when I was younger. And I just love the stories that your bodies can tell. Like when you, when somebody choreographs something and it's a, it's a powerful piece and it, the words of the song is so powerful and you're able to com- see the story conveyed in the movements of somebody's body. That was part. I mean, I just, I just loved it. Um, another thing that inspires me at everyday people, I love, like I'm an eavesdropper. So <laughs> I eavesdrop on people's conversation. Um, like my friends tell me their con- their situations. I use those in my story. You're my friend. God forgive God forgive me. And, you know, may the Lord be with you because you probably think your story is projected on stage. So for me, every everyday people really um, get me because I feel like um, in this world that we live in, media and performing arts in general and television and industry in general, it makes us as people seem so far away from celebrity and we're so far away from on television or what's so far away from what's on what's in a movie when in reality they take from us. So why not bring the reality to the screen and bring those real stories and say, dang, I just saw somebody argue, arguing in the park a few minutes ago and here it goes. Here's this movie talking about the same thing and it's raw and it's in raw form, which is my short film, Listen, that's available on YouTube. But um, it it is about a couple that they both don't have, the husband, does, the boyfriend didn't have time. He's always running late. He has a lot and they're not listening to one another um, in their relationship and things go sour because they're both not listening. They're just talking at one another. And it happens so often in relationships and we hear people say that, but to see it projected on, on television, you can look at yourself in that situation and be like, damn, that's me. Yep. I'm her. I'm him, you know? So um, I, that's my real people are my real motivation for real. I, these I, days. I like that you said that. And it's funny because that, that example and, and discussing the, the short film and we'll put links to that in the, the show notes. It's funny. I, I, over the last few weeks, I've become a big watcher of TikTok. There's a lot of creators on there mm. that do amazing yeah. things. And there was a, there was a guy and I definitely his, uh, he was turning on his Xbox or he was playing on Xbox and his girlfriend or wife, she went and she turned it off while he was mid playing. And he's like, what are you doing? Blah, blah, blah. 
And she's like, you're on this thing all the time, et cetera, et cetera. And he's like, this is all I have. And like the amount of pain in that guy's voice. And it was crazy just because, you know, I'm a big gamer. I'm married. You know, my 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 wife is very supportive of all of my endeavors. You know, if I tell her I'm building a rocket to go to space, she'll say where are the plans let's start, you know. But um, yeah, like watching this guy have that happen to him. Like I could, I could feel to to your point, like his pain, and uh, you know, the first yeah. thing you do is read the comments, and people are like, "Oh my God, that's terrible! I wouldn't want to be you." You know, I wish that you know, hey man, that's happened to me. And hearing you talk about that and being on the outside looking in, it's just an amazing example that even if that was scripted or unscripted, it resonated with people because it was true. Right. Which, and it's real life. It happens every day. Exactly. It's not far removed from what you really go through on a day to day. And I think that's what film is getting back to. That's what media, what art form is getting, visual media is getting back to. Real life stuff. We can't, we're not the Kim Kardashians. We're not jet setting every fucking where. And we're all not in a lovey-dovey relationship. Oh, you know, these love stories that they tell where at the end, the girl gets the guy. Sometimes the girl doesn't get the guy. Sometimes the guy go on about his life somewhere else or some, some, something or someone else. And you're left sitting like, oh, I'm dating again. How does <laughs> dating look like for me? Right. And I think bringing reality into art form is just, it's, it's better. It makes for a better story. So but before we move into the the second part of our uh, of the show, I did. I did want to ask with with so much with so much work that you're doing in the community, so many different projects you're working on. What what is your where would you like Love Is Enough Productions to be a year from now? If I bumped into you a year from now and I said, "Hey, Alexis, where, where how's how's the production company coming along? Where do you want to be? What's your what's your end game with your with your production? Love company? Is Enough Productions. You will see its name. You won't bump into me. You will see its name. On the end of commercials, you will see us advertise all over the place. Um, but in reality, for me, uh, where I want to see Love Is Enough production, I want to have a building. I do. I want to. I want a small building that's mine that has my production name on there, and we are producing content constantly. I mean, I'm going into the realm of commercial, so hopefully, very soon, you guys will be seeing a lot of the commercial work, work that we're producing that we'll be producing very soon, um, focus and gear towards mo- mostly small um, businesses. So you guys will be seeing those platforms, that, that content on platforms very soon. So for me, it's just having a building with, my, with our names on it and um, creating new opportunities for new artists, new videographers, new directors, new producers that are coming on the scene, new writers, new playwriters, new actors, a hub for... Um, individuals to jumpstart their careers on any platform that they want to, you know, platform that they're on and um, giving them the opportunity to lead with love because our motto is um, love is enough, but we educate to change the world. We entertain to change the world. I'm sorry. If our mission is to change the world, if our mission is to entertain, our goal is to um, change the world. So we definitely lead with that. We want people, we want to entertain and change the world and not I think that's what I'm doing constantly every day. <laughs> I, def- I definitely applaud the work that you're putting out there. You have an incredible work ethic. I always see you working on a project, promoting a project, plus you're, 
you're juggling a bunch of other responsibilities, plus you're working with Josie's boy on Call Me When It's Over. Um, it's a lot. You know, There's a, you have a lot of time and you maximize a lot of the bandwidth that you have putting out a lot of work. So, uh, you know, much respect for that. I, I want to switch gears. We have a, a second part of our show, which we like to call the hot seats, just a series of rapid fire questions, different things. Uh, some of it related to your professional work. Some stuff is just a little bit more lighthearted to break things up. So we're going to run through the questions, you know, no pressure. You know, you could just answer what right off the top of your head. All right. Okay. So when you wake up in the morning, you turn on your phone. What's the first, what's the first place you go to? Um, it's- Aha. I've been hearing no, that a no, lot. No. Like, oh. ooh, ooh. No, I'm sorry. My Bible app. I'm <laughs> Okay. Do you do do you meditate? Yes. Really? Do you uh do you keep yeah. uh do you journal also or just meditate? I just meditate. Okay. Um what are three mobile apps you can't live without besides your Bible app? Uh three mobile apps I can't live without. Ooh, that's a good question. This is rapid fire. I got to think fast. Um ooh. I don't know. I never thought that deeply about something. I guess um, a shopping app, Target. I got to have Target. Um, Instagram. I can I can do Instagram. Um, and then Seamless. I got to order some. Nice. Especially with everything going on. I'm sure that Seamless app has got a lot of play <laughs> the last three yeah, months. It needs to be deleted, but, you know. <laughs> so in, in light of that, and, and, and I have to ask, um, how are you? How are you staying motivated in this current crisis? Because it's easy to get your energy sucked out. How are you? How are you staying motivated? How you got those creative juices flowing? Um, nobody but God. I I have to give him the honor and the praise for that because I pray. Um, before doing the beginning of this process, I um had like a mental breakdown because I was like, "What the heck is going to happen?" Um, and um, I was encouraged to do with a friend of mine. Uh, a prayer and fasting um, plan on the Bible app for 21 days. And in those 21 days, God gave me all of the confidence, all of the motivation I needed. He gave me so many ideas. Everything that you guys see on Love is Enough production came from him. And my my prayer and my fasting and my meditating, um, he was able to give me so many amazing ideas and jumpstart a lot of projects that I've been doing that you guys have been seeing on my, on my page. So, um, that's God is, he's the one. There you go. All right. Um, what's a website you recommend to people often? A website that I recommend. Okay. It's not a website. Can I say an app? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Can I say an app? Sure. Um, the calm app, the calm meditation app, Uh you have to pay for the subscription, but they have free meditation sessions that you can listen to. I recommend that people get into meditating, especially during these times that we live in right now where things are so stressful and, you know, your mind can wander a lot and you have thousands, millions of thoughts cross your mind. And, you know, when your mind overworks itself, it can become very, very restless. I, I encourage people, even if it's just for one minute, even if it's just for two minutes, just go ahead and listen to the app and um, meditate and spend some time with yourself, thinking with yourself and being centered. I always encourage people to to try the Calm app. Very nice. What's um What's a movie that you like that a lot of people don't? Um. Uh, okay, my favorite movie is The Devil Wears Prada. I just I love Meryl. She, she can do no wrong in my personal opinion. <laughs> she probably could. Mama Mia was not her best, but 
it's a great, it, she's, it, that's one of my great films. Um, one film that people might not like is She's All That. Wow. I like, I like, I like She's All That. That's one of my favorites. Nice. Growing up. Yeah, that's a, that, that's definitely unexpected. And that's a definite, that's a film that definitely causes division. Um, right. People will be like, nah, I'm not watching it. <laughs> as, as a, as an actor, director, producer, What's one film that people that are looking to get into this field, what do you, what's a film that you feel they should watch? What's a must watch that checks off all the boxes for you? Ooh, that's a deep, it's so many films in the world. Um, well, what's one that comes up? You, you, I mean, we could do more than one, but what's one that you always feel that you have to recommend that you tell people like, Hey, if you want to get into this moonlight, like should... moonlight, powerful story, yep, powerful narrative, great, it's just a, a, a coming of age story from a black male's perspective finding his identity finding uh, defining his sexuality i think that's a good one and also um one documentary that i would recommend um it's a documentary series which i thought was very powerful um is um their need for us or the the, the way they see us yep. or yep. um not not that one, not the Ava DuVernay. It's a documentary, like they, they need us or something. They got to yep. have us. I think it's they have to have us. But it's a documentary about Black filmmakers and how we um, push forward and all of the films that we made in Hollywood and, you know, the origin of um, Black Hollywood and all of that stuff. So that's a good documentary that, you know, I think is great to diversify different forms of filmmaking. It talks about um European um black filmmakers. It's it's just a great documentary. I have to give you the exact name because I can't remember it. Okay. But that's one. Um and then who would be another one that I um recommend people to watch? Is it is it Brooklyn? Is it Crooklyn? Crooklyn? Don't quote me on it. Just skip it. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm thinking about I'm thinking about a movie, but I can't it's a um it's a Spike Lee movie about the little girl. They live in Brooklyn. They have the brownstone. I can't get the name. Huh. Well, you can always send it to me, and I can always put the link in the, the show notes. Yeah. Yeah, I can't remember the name. Sorry. That's all right. Yeah, that's a good one. What was the last book you read? Oh, um, the last book I read was Seizing Your Divine Moment. And who's the author? And um, the becoming, the becoming was the was actually the last. Uh, becoming was the last of Michelle Obama, but I don't know the author for um, That's all right. the divine moment. I just know the title. That's all right. I can find it. So I, I have to ask. You know, you read you read Michelle Obama's book. Um, do you feel, especially with with with, uh, with everything that's going on, do you feel that that book was an accurate representation of her as a person? Yes. Speaking as a Midwest girl, because she's from Chicago, I'm from St. Louis, Missouri. So if you don't know, St. Louis, Missouri is only six hours away from Chicago. Okay. Um, we're across the border from Illinois. So um, it's like right there. Um, so for me, it's, it, it was a great representation of what she what she is. I mean, I love Michelle Obama. One, because we Midwest girls who come from kind of the same type of family dy- dynamic. Mother, father lives in a house. You, know, you go to school, your parents are... You, you know, your parents work and um, middle class type of lifestyle. But I think the thing that I loved about Michelle Obama the most is that um, she never she had her own thing going on. She didn't she didn't come to the table with nothing 
and building building something with her husband in a sense where he had something that she built off of what he had. She already came to the table with something. So I love that narrative that they show about, that she told about herself is that, look, I already had a dream. I already had a vision, you know, and I combined with my husband and we made a dream come true for the both of us. But in the beginning, I already had a, I already had a speech that I was writing, you know, he just added to the story that I was writing, you know, and um, all of the things that she had to overcome. I mean, like, kind of similar to her, I had like control and, you know, she had like this, this thing that she wanted to do and it was a particular way it was going to be done. And she had to lose control, even being in the white house and allowing for other people to control what she's doing physically. I mean, I think it's just a beautiful story and the documentary was great too. So I love Michelle Obama. Excellent. Um, what was the last thing you purchased that was less than $100 that made your life either easier or just more enjoyable? Less than $100? Oh, yes, my gosh. Um, oh, I purchased two things under $100. A face steamer and a pour cleaner. <laughs> hey, nothing so, wrong with that. Insta- uh, Instagram, they got those ads. <laughs> you I fell for that, huh? <laughs> I did. Um, it just came yesterday. So it was like, it was very refreshing. Like, for me, I like to take care of my skin. My skin is like a big part of um, my identity in a sense. I like to have clear skin because I have a really pretty eyes and a pretty smile and I want to make sure that my skin is always very clean. So those are two things that I was just like, oh my gosh, my life is complete. With regards to that, you know, it was funny. I hadn't, I was talking about this with my wife about um, Alicia Keys moving away from using any makeup. And, um, yeah, no, she used makeup. She, she that's used. what I, you, I was about to ask you because I said to myself, <laughs> I, I'm like, listen, you're on TV and HD is not forgiving. And every time I see yeah. her on television, I'm like, your skin way too smooth. <laughs> like, like that can't yeah, be right. No, she, used, <laughs> uh, she used natural makeup. Trust me. Uh, she used something that's very, uh, natural and, it, it don't look like she does some touch-ups. She's not doing like a lot of makeup on her face because the majority of her skin is smooth, but she's right. doing some concealer. Yeah, it's a little spots that she ain't getting rid of. Uh-huh. But I, that's why that you brought that up. And I said, you know what? That's a, that, that's an interesting ass because, you know, it's like, like I see, her, I go, wow, she looks very different. And then, you know, my wife was like, yeah, she said this whole big thing about not using makeup, blah, blah, blah. And I said, that's impossible. So I figured I, figured I would ask a secondary person. No, it's not impossible, but, you know, the face has natural curves and and all of that type of stuff um, that, you know, my face, specifically for me, when I'm really, really tired, I hear really bags under my eyes. So my skin might be clear, but I might have dark circles. So sometimes you got to touch that up. So I (laughs) see where something. (laughs) There you go. Um, As always, you know, we we talk about tech, but we also talk about toys here. What was uh, your favorite toy growing up? My cabbage patch doll. I have the whole family. I had the little brother. I had the mom. I had the little sister. Um, and I had like the Christmas baby one. I loved my cabbage patch dolls. I, I mean, I was so heartbroken when one of them, my little cousin, flushed one of them down the toilet. Oh no! I don't know how that was possible, but he did it. Um, and um, those were dolls that my my grandmother and my mom would buy me constantly. And then because they had the brown dolls, um, that was a big thing for our family because my mom always wanted something in the household that looked exactly like me or gotcha. some the people that are around me on a constant. So, 
Um, my Cabbage Patch dolls were my family. They were my siblings because I'm the baby. Gotcha. <laughs> uh, biggest biggest difference between the Midwest and New York that you had to adjust to? People being nice <laughs> in the dirt is dirty. And you guys don't have like, oh, no, really the biggest change is no stars. Really? It's not, it's not unless in a city you can't see any stars. Right. So many lights. There you go. That's a, that so, makes yeah, sense. that's the biggest thing I miss. That and fresh air, too, because you can't really breathe in too much fresh air in the city. This is true. But, yeah, I miss seeing the stars in the sky and being able to breathe in fresh air and see a full tree, not twigs. Last one. If you could have dinner with someone, dead or alive, who would it be and what would you want to talk about? My idol, and I am so sad that she passed away, my Angela. I would want to know. For me, she is like, she was an advocate. She used her life to advocate everything that she represents. And I would want to ask her um, what was a moment in her life that she felt like she couldn't go on anymore and what motivated her to keep going. Right. She lived to be so long. For so long and so many things that she went through in her life. I just want to know what, 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 where did her carriage come from? That's, that's powerful stuff. Yeah. Well, the, the last part of our show, we like to always give uh, more value besides all the information from our guests. We like to call it reach one, teach one. Um, and, you know, we like to share actionable advice for you um, and to share with our audience. What, what do you recommend or what would you what actionable advice would you give to someone that's looking to get into production, whether it's as a director or producer or an actor? Just one piece of actionable advice. Or you could give more than one if you so choose. Um, I think my first advice is leaving yourself. Um, don't let yourself be the thing that's preventing you from following the dream that you see when you close your eyes. I feel like sometimes we forget that we can get on our own self way and prevent us from moving forward to do that production, to produce or write that that book or that play, or to go out and audition for our first production, or to put our first video out on social media because we're afraid that people won't like it. So, you know, believe in yourself and believe that you have the power to put forth what you want to put forth. I will also say for um, people that are just, at a standstill with what they want to do, don't overthink it. Like, you know, it. regardless of how old you are, you are going to be that age if you do it, or you're going to be that age if you don't do it. But it's better if you do it. So don't, um, don't put yourself in a situation where you're regretting something years from now. Just do it. Just do it. Fuck what everybody else say. Just do what you got to do that make you happy. Bring you you joy internally. Um, for me, that's I think that's the biggest thing. And um, know what your mission is. Know what you're coming out for. Don't. I mean, if you're coming out specifically for money, that's great. I mean, I think that's great. It's, I mean, it's a short time live thing because then you know you you're gonna have to figure out what your next mission is after you accumulate all of the money. But know what your purpose is. I know I entertain a change the world because for me the world is needs changing, and in order for me for that to happen, I have to put my talents to the forefront and say, hey. This is lacking something. How can I replace it with something that I feel should be there that leads with love? So know what your mission is and 
everything else would just fall into place. That's uh, that's some incredibly inspiring and a hell of a way to close things out. Um, <laughs> uh, where where can people find out more about Love Is Enough Productions and keep up with the rest of your work? Um, so you can check out our new website. Yay! Um, we just launched it a couple of well, we actually didn't launch it, so you guys were the first to hear it. But we just finished it up a couple of weeks ago, so you can find us at loveisenoughproductions.com. And you can also find us on Facebook at Love Is Enough Productions and on Instagram at Love Is Enough underscore Productions. And um, yeah, so if you're looking for me personally, Alexis A. McCoy, you can find me on Instagram and Alana Fuss. Nice. Um, Alexis, thank you for taking the time to share thank the toys you. and tech of your trade. I really appreciate it. Thank you it. so much for having me. We hope you enjoyed our conversation with Alexis A. McCoy and got some value from the interview, including uh, steps for uh, aspiring actors, producers, and directors. And as always, links will be in the show notes for this episode for all of the items we discussed, as well as all of the things that Alexis recommended. As always, you can catch Alexis alongside Josie's boy on Call Me When It's Over, available on the RageWorks Podcast Network, and that is released usually every Saturday. So every Saturday, you can hear Josie's boy and Alexis crush it on RageWorks' number one culture cast. So before we wrap things up, a quick call to action. If you are checking out the show on iTunes, please take a moment and rate the show. We would really, really appreciate it. It helps us with the algorithm, helps us with placement um, across the different iTunes charts across the world. We're definitely making strides in a lot of international markets, and we want to keep that momentum going. So every little review helps. Um, if you want to just do the rating, that's great. If you want to write a couple of sentences, we would really, really appreciate it. As I said at the beginning of the show, I'll reiterate it again. If you're interested in being a guest on a future episode of Toys and Tech of the Trade and have an awesome story, feel free to reach out, rich at rageworks.net, and also use the contact form on the Rageworks Network site, which is rageworksnetwork.com. Uh, with regards to social media, of course, you can find Rageworks on any of the, your favorite social media platforms, uh, just Rageworks or some variation of Rageworks. In the case of Twitter, it is Rage underscore works. But you can find us on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, etc. You guys know the deal. Links will be in the show notes for this episode. That's going to wrap up this week's episode of Toys and Tech of the Trade. We'll see you guys in two weeks with a brand new guest where we'll learn about the toys and tech of their trade. Thanks for listening, guys. Peace.
Toys and Tech of the Trade is part of the Rageworks Podcast Network, your source for rants about gaming, entertainment, and the works. Visit us at RageworksNetwork.com.